We're in the midst of a Basecamp Live series called More Than Ever because right now, more than ever, we need a generation of students who are truly cultivated to love what God loves, to think deeply, and to be real-world ready. All that sounds amazing. It makes for good open house talks. But is there long-term evidence that it actually works? Well, my guest today has completed a doctoral dissertation that specifically researches the long-term outcomes and impacts of classical Christian education. And I'll tell you, there is lasting fruit. And it's way more than just excellent reading, writing, and arithmetic skills. And it's, in fact, just what is needed right now in our current cultural moment. You don't want to miss this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens on the line with Jared Squires. How are you, Jared? I am doing fantastic. I'm glad to be here, Davies. It's good to have you here. How is, how's life down in Lubbock, Texas today? Life is uh, beautiful today. 80 degree weather, no wind, which is unusual for Lubbock, Texas. So it's a, it's a good day here in the panhandle of, of Texas. Well, for folks who, who don't know you, um, you have been faithfully there in Lubbock uh, running Kingdom Preparatory Academy. You and your wife started it 20 years ago. Is that right? That's two decades ago. That's right. This is our, our 19th year, uh, but we've actually been working on it for, for two decades because it took a few years to, to get started. So we opened the doors in, in 2002 and, and have been running uh, full speed ahead since that time. Well, I think if you get to 19 years, we'll just call it a rounding error and make it two decades because that's pretty. And, and the classical Christian movement, that's basically half of the existence of the movement. You've been at it. So you've got some wisdom to share. And you guys are interestingly a university model school, which uh, I'd love to come back and do another podcast on that. People hear that. They think that you have college built in or something. You know, just I'm kind of curious before we get into our big topic here. What's a university model school? That's exactly right. We're a classical Christian university model. And so each of those aspects play an important role for us. Uh, but the university style schedule, uh, I remember when we first opened, we had a billboard that said university model school. And we actually had our home phone number on there. And we were getting phone calls like for college modeling, <laughs> uh, which was not the, what we were offering. And so, uh, it, it is a, a private uh, Christian school that uh, it offers a university-style schedule. So uh, the majority of our students attend classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on campus, uh, and then they work at home with their parents on the alternating days. And uh, as they're younger, the parents certainly have a, 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 a larger role as a co-teacher in those grammar school years. Uh, and then as the students' independence grows in the latter years, they truly start to really replicate a a university, true university-style schedule where they have Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes and also Tuesday, Thursday classes. Got it. Well, it's a it's a model that I think is you know, gaining even more popularity as we uh, live out COVID and more people are looking for options, uh, brick-and-mortar five-day and then kind of the hybrid model. So that's definitely another conversation for another day. But Jared, I want to we're going to dive into some fascinating research that you have done after uh, many years of being in the in the saddle, so to speak, of running a school, you said it's time to pursue a doctoral dissertation, and congrats on that. You just finished up what two years ago, I guess, with your. That's exactly right. Yes, thank yeah, you. on this on this uh, 
and and it's an an impressive document that's really looking at this idea of of uh, paideia, and it was really born out of a a sense that you were having. And I want to just jump right in and get under this topic that, and maybe be a little provocative in saying that most parents, even in classical Christian schools, even who have written big checks, even who have been very faithfully involved, don't really understand what is education. And certainly there are many that do. But talk to that issue, because I think it was right at, at, you know, very much the point you were trying to prove out in your doctoral work. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I was a latecomer to classical Christian education. You know, I, I grew up in the uh, in the public schools, and uh, as Doug Wilson has said, in my in my latter years as an adult and as a school founder, I'm trying to impart something that I never received, and so uh, that's that's certainly been a challenge. But as I began to read uh, all of the great books out there on classical Christian education, uh, this this idea, this notion of paideia uh, continued to uh, to come about. And uh, in Ephesians 6, when it says, you know, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but raise them up in the padea of the Lord, the, the nurture and admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so uh, what I found, and as I began to read and talk to others, I don't know that uh, I had a quote in my paper that said that this idea had been lost in translation. It had been forgotten by the Christian community. Uh, and so we'll, I'm sure today we'll talk more about uh, the definition of this, but at times it's even hard to capture, you know, within the English uh, language. Uh, and so I found that Christian parents wanted, you know, a good education uh, for their, their children, but they, they, they'd lost this enculturation of, of exactly, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, when it talks about, you know, impressing these commandments on your children when they sit, when they walk, and when they lie down, and when they get up, this, this all-encompassing form of education, uh, not just at at the at the school, uh, that it's it's all of life. So really, parents in some ways, I mean, they're making decisions that are that are. Is it maybe just? I mean, if I could say it is, it's not that they're choosing for wrong reasons. It's just their their reasons are not as complete or as sophisticated as they could be if they understood what they were doing. So this is, we all know it's more than reading, writing, and arithmetic is the purpose of school, and we all know that it's more than reading, writing, and arithmetic with Jesus sprinkled on top, as some have said about Christian education. But there's this dimension, it's almost like going from two-dimensional to three-dimensional when you start realizing the scope and the and the expanse of what God has in store for our children. So, um, Talk again, you know, what what was sort of, was there a point in your own journey where you kind of thought, okay, now I'm realizing this is way bigger and way deeper, and what was that sort of discovery that you made? Yeah, I think one realization uh, for me as well, and I uh, I think back in the video that you made years ago on ancient future education, we've used that for, uh, for years in our school, but, you know, just talks about the time spent uh, in schools, uh, and when we look at Christian families, only about uh, 10% of Christian families even attend uh, Christian schools. Uh, and so when we look at the church, uh, the vast majority of, of families within a church that the local church and pastors are serving, uh, you know, aren't even really advocates of Christian education. So that's the first step is even to talk about the need for Christian education. Uh, but once we, we take that step and we really start talking about the all in all-encompassing uh, enculturation, the benefits that come uh, from Padea, then it really does begin to uh, to open your eyes. Uh, I had a, there was a, a number of quotes, uh, you know, Augustine, for example, said that we couldn't even under uh, advance in our understanding of scripture 
or the Christian life or culture or academic uh, discipline or the pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty without this integrated approach uh, to learning. Some authors have even gone to the extent of saying Paideia provided the foundation of Western civilization. Uh, it's how the great conversation began. Uh, and so for those of us that are in classical Christian education, I think it should uh, kind of make us sit up straight and just realize, wow, how honored, how thankful we are to be a part of, of something so big. You know, you quote in your, in your dissertation research um, a guy named Bron, Bronfen Brenner, um, and I want to read this because I think it fits exactly what you're talking about. He says, and this is so timely, he says, the future success of a country is based heavily upon the cultivation of the minds and character of its children. Uh, I can't think of anything more significant right now. I mean, the future success of a country is based heavily upon the cultivation of the minds and character of the children. So this is that starting to look into what I call kind of the third dimension. This isn't just my kid got good grades and they were in an environment with loving teachers, and we memorized Bible verses. But it's this idea of cultivation. Like, am I, is that, so what he's saying here is this is literally the fiber of the being of the person is being formed. Is that maybe another way to say it? Or? That's exactly right. When we look at Augustine, again, on his definition of virtue, of the, the ordering of our loves. And so we throw this language around in classical schools about cultivating affections, uh, but I think that is exactly right. Uh, a, a book, a resource that I used in my dissertation, the Padea Proposal, which was actually written for public schools back in the 80s. But there, uh, there was really this prophetic sense that Mortimer Adler spoke of there. One thing he says, the ultimate goal is to form a wise and robustly democratic citizenry. If Americans do not read, cannot write, and forget how to converse in a manner informed by truth, then the civitas is lost. Uh, and so I think, I think we see this unfolding before us today uh, of the need uh, for students that can think critically and can speak well uh, and can do it yet with gentleness and respect, uh, as it says in the New Testament. So Jared, I know that paideia, again, is one of those million-dollar words that uh, it's hard to understand. It doesn't translate from the Greek, as you talked about. It's, I think, maybe perhaps we give up too easily trying to define it, or, and we oversimplify it. We say, oh, these guys are just talking about uh, worldview. And a lot of Christians talk about we need to have a good Christian worldview. But paideia is, again, it's so much deeper than that. Talk about the difference in paideia and worldview. I think we could look at uh, a definition, actually, that, that David Goodwin and I discussed uh, when I was doing my research. He actually made the statement that paideia is, is like a worldview, but it's, it's more than a worldview. Uh, and so it goes into what we've been alluding to, uh, this cultivation of our desires, the, the ordering of our loves as a start, uh, the cultivation of, of our knowledge. Yes, and sometimes we stop there in education. So that's the reading, writing, arithmetic you know, portion of it. Uh, but our beliefs, how do we analyze? How do we interpret those things? What is important to us? What do we... Uh, as our collection of virtues, what, what is the key center point of our life? And so it's, it's truly looking at every aspect as, uh, as educators, as parents, as, as pastors. Uh, the Greeks understood this very well. They, they knew that it was an all-encompassing uh, education. And so when G.K. Chesterton talks about that education should be a transfer of a way of life, uh, I think that gives the uh, 
the breadth of this responsibility of, of transferring a, a way of life uh, to to children. And Paideia can can cut two directions, right? Because you can certainly have a transfer of a way of life that teaches your child to uh, destroy the world and become a barbarian. I mean, there's certainly a, a, a narrative that can be presented to children using the same power, the same effort. Um, and I know that's back to our friend David Goodwin who's done a lot of research on just the progressive movement in the 20th century. And that's a lot of what they saw is if you want to change a nation, change education and everything else is downstream of it. So, so at this point, uh, Jared, I think people are probably thinking, okay, I, great, I get it. That was a good reminder. Um, and this is the kind of talk we do at open houses, and and parents love it, and teachers love it. But what you were curious was, well, does it work? Did we actually achieve this lofty paideia formation? So, talk a little bit about your research. We're going to take a break and come back and get into the details of it. But what, what did you try to actually measure and accomplish? That is exactly right, because there's been, uh, we can talk all day about this, but is it actually making a difference? And so I spent uh, two years uh, on a journey uh, talking to graduates of of classical Christian schools uh, here in Texas. Uh, A big question that I wanted to answer was, how do classical Christian high school graduates describe their lived experiences of Christian paideia? So I, I chose schools that were certainly familiar with this idea and that were making their best efforts uh, to, to impart this. And so I wanted to hear from students, having lived this experience, uh, tell me what that was like, uh, the benefits, uh, et cetera. And the majority of these students were actually still in college. I had one student that had, uh, had just graduated. So it was still uh, fairly uh, fresh, uh, you know, in, in their memory. Uh, and so I... I've got uh, a number of themes that I came uh, came, uh, came out of that research. I don't know if you want to go into that now or come back after the break. Or... Yeah, go ahead and give us the themes, and then we're going to take a break and come back and really hear what you found. So what were some of the things you were after? It was extremely moving uh, to hear from these students of the level of impact. And again, we're hoping that it's uh, affecting you know all of their life, uh, but it, it truly did uh, affect every you know part of their life. And so... Uh, some of the themes of just the relational aspects. I think teachers know they're they're making an impact, but the depth of the impact, uh, both of the the teachers, the administrators, uh, and their their peers in their school, and how that's benefited them on as they've continued uh, into the college life. Also, just this uh, this recognition of of generational faithfulness that they received something, they received this gift, which we'll talk more about and how they have a responsibility now to, to pass that on uh, to, their, to their children and to their, their friends and as, as they continue uh, in their life. Well, that's, that sounds like very encouraging discovery. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. And Jared, look forward to hearing the answer to what every parent wants to know after 13-year investment, K-12. Uh, hey, did it work? Well, let's find out. And it's very encouraging what you found. We'll be right back here on Basecamp Live. Hello, my name is David Kern, and I'm with the Searcy Institute, and I'd like to tell you about a new product that we have available now called 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. It features some of the most essential poems ever written, and is a book for people who believe that the mind is worth filling with beautiful things. Each poem has been carefully selected by a panel of poets, educators, and scholars, and is accompanied by a brief but thoughtful essay that explores the poem 
identifying questions to ask, images to contemplate, and forms to revel in. If you love poetry, or just want to make poetry a bigger part of your life or your school's life, then please check out 30 Poems to Memorize Before It's Too Late. You can get it right now on Amazon.com or at CerseInstitute.org slash 30 poems. That's CerseInstitute.org slash 30poems. Welcome back to Basecamp Live. Jared Squires and I talking about this fascinating, groundbreaking research that you've done. There's a lot of research, it seems like, now that we are 40 years, and maybe it's a rough number, into this movement. Um, again, we've referenced uh, the David Goodwin and the work they've done with the ACCS and Good Soil, and, and there are others uh, that have done research. But yours is unique in that we are going after these graduates to say, did, did specifically this Ephesians 6 Paideia thing uh, manifest itself in you that stayed with you when you left and moved out into, quote, the real world? So what did you find? What was the research discovery for you? Yeah, and I think it's important to note uh, in my study, it was it was a qualitative study, and so I wasn't uh, exactly measuring something. I think oftentimes with research, you know, we kind of go immediately to the scientific approach as well. Something has to be measured, and I, I think the Good Soils report uh, did a lot of that, and so mine was more experiential. It was the, the essence, what, you know, actually hands-on with these students, what did you experience? And one of those major themes was the theme of, of brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that as the word says, is iron sharpen iron, and one man sharpens another. There was that was that occurring. This level of, of accountability uh, within these school settings, uh, along with a relational uh, intimacy uh, with within the schools, and, and and many of these schools, I will admit, were were smaller schools, like like uh, many of these classical Christian schools are. Um, although actually, it was some of the larger ones too. You know, up to seven or eight hundred students. So these weren't you know really small, but they were within these classrooms to be able to develop uh, this, this relational intimacy. As I mentioned earlier, the, the idea of generational faithfulness, uh, that we're passing this on, Psalm 78, uh, up to the next generation. And they, they felt that from uh, these, the, these faculty members in particular. Uh, you know, they, they would comment, you know, I realize these faculty members are not, are not getting rich in this, uh, this profession, but they're investing in us. They're spending the time with us. They're having the conversations. They're helping to cultivate uh, our affections. One of the most fascinating things that came to this was the theme of transcendent benefits and tools that they actually realized when they had gotten to college that they had been given kind of these superhero tools uh, through through this education that actually put them ab- above their peers. Uh, but they were able to handle these very well, use their special powers very well. So their abilities of rhetoric, their abilities of logic, their abilities of, of writing, uh, the Christian worldview that they had been giving, uh, the courage, the preparation uh, to, to, do, to do well in college. And so th- there was a recognition for that and a thankfulness uh, of this gift that they had been given. That, that, that was what was so heartwarming was to see that they realized that they were very well prepared uh, to give an answer and they were thankful for that. Uh, and so I think the parents that are investing money, that's a, that's a great deal to realize that that, that payoff uh, is certainly there. Absolutely. And that's, you know, again, it's the, 
if you ask it put in order what's most important i would say absolutely most of our parents rightfully would order it and say we want them to, to love love the lord with all their heart soul mind and strength and yeah we they will perform well on tests and they'll get into good colleges but this is what we're really in making this 13-year investment and in. so again there's this paideia fruit uh, that's coming through what else again help us understand against big word paideia what does it look like as it's played out what were these what are some other responses you got Another response I got was this, uh, this voracious appetite for learning. Uh, and so, you know, all schools talk about you want to develop a love for learning, uh, but do we actually ever truly accomplish that? I had a student say that it grew within me a very deep hunger to learn. I'll always have a healthy element of curiosity, a healthy element of wanting to become a better person through what I have to learn. Uh, and so, it, sp- it sparked an interest. It wasn't just a delivery of information. We weren't just pouring information into their minds. Uh, they, they, it was actually an accomplishment of what we hoped to see, to, to spark that passion, to light that fire, uh, to spark that interest, to, to continue to learn. And, and these students were pursuing, uh, you know, in college, many of them were in honors programs at various universities solely so that they could pursue maybe engineering and philosophy, for example, or accounting and history, these kind of diverse spectrums. But that, that, had, that love had been cultivated within them, this recognition of the value of both of these areas of study. So they weren't pushed into, uh, through this liberal arts uh, uh, training that they had received, they weren't pushed on, uh, onto a single track. They, were learned, they, they learned to appreciate uh, the, the breadth of education and the value that was there. Again, a lot of questions when we start getting into research like this, um, and I know you've, you address it in the in the study itself, but I could see somebody, I'm, I'm already jumping to what I think people are probably wondering. One question would just be, um, are these are these students, um, you know, are they, pretty, are they representative of most of our schools, or are these just sort of the few, you know, shiny star students that ended up getting interviewed? Do you feel like it's, it's this, is Paideia in various ways impacting any student that graduates, not just the valedictorian. Yeah, I think it, I think it is uh, affecting them all. Uh, the way I did my study is I, I did have to, the, the initial person that I would, uh, my contact at the school would come from the headmaster of the school, but then I would ask for additional friends and contacts from that individual. So it's, it's called a snowball uh, sampling. And so I, I was able to, uh, to, you know, to, to get some of the students that weren't the shiny stars or the valedictorians, just, you know, your, your average, you know, student, yeah. uh, and be able to, uh, to have a, you know, a deeper discussion uh, with them. And, so. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's just, it's reassuring because obviously any school eventually is going to have a few kids that come out no matter what you're doing that are impressive. But no, the point here is that Paideia, it reminds me of the old, uh, did youth ministry for years back in the day and the old take, take chocolate milk and put it in the milk and you, and you, know, you squeeze it. Once you drop the chocolate and you swirl it in there, it it's all in the milk. And I think that's really kind of what we're talking about this and this way of seeing yourself, of seeing the world, um, of loving learning. It's in all of you in all aspects. And now it's imperfect because we're imperfect people. What, any, what else stood out to you in the research? What were differentiators of these students? This idea that you're uh, just describing right now with your example of the chocolate milk, I had a quote from a student, and I think it's probably my favorite quote. It said, the Christian paideia, I think, that we've experienced is almost a living, breathing thing. It's influenced the way we live our lives and the way we walk out our faith. 
in college, in our jobs. And so this idea of a living, breathing thing, you know, it just it made me think of the, the gift that we have of the, the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, to see some of these things that we talk about in Scripture, but is, is it true? Is it a reality? Is, is, are these students actually experiencing and feeling these things? And I, I walked away with, uh, with yes, that they are. Uh, that this work we're doing is worthwhile. Uh, it, it does take time, and it happens slowly. Uh, but this, uh, the work that's being d- done is is valuable and is making a difference as we pass this and restore and pass this gift on to the next generation. Well, Jerry, I think that, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, I got chills as you were just describing that because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, I think that we, we, we being typical parents. I'm one of them. I was three years as a head of school before I really, I think, really understood the significance. I've said this before of human soul formation. This is holy work. It's significant work. It is anything but just polite reading, writing, arithmetic. You quote in your dissertation, Schultz, um, who says, common core standards standards are designed to produce good and productive workers. The classical Christian philosophy of education seeks to produce great and holy saints. Um, Christian schools must never lose sight of this fundamental difference in the aim of education. This is wholly different. It is, it is a, it is a supernatural work that's taking place in our midst. Um, so different from what else is commonly put out there and called education. That's exactly right. Much of education, as we know today, is very uh, pragmatic. Uh, you know, how is it going to get the student into the best university? How's that best university going to get them the best job? You know, live live this um, American uh, dream. Uh, this the style of education that we're talking about certainly prepares uh, students for those very things, but it does it does so much more. Uh, and so, just the recognition of the time that students are going to spend uh, in the educational process and destroying this myth of neutrality. Uh, There's going to be a worldview present, as we all know, in any style of education. So just the recognition of that, that, uh, that there is going to be that uh, the worldview uh, uh, present and how are we going to utilize this time uh, in the best way that we can to pass on uh, the enculturation of uh, the Christian faith. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and again, listen to us long enough, you're going to hear us talk about these 16,000 hours. I mean, there's no other place where your students or your children spend in terms of influence. Um, but um, I do want us to, we're going to take another quick break and come back because I want to talk about what can we do and what did you see in the research, both as teachers, as parents, to help accelerate the adoption of a Christian paideia, because again, this cultivation, if to use that metaphor, last time I cultivated, I got some weeds. So like, what should we be doing to keep the weeds out and keep the fertilizer coming in? Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come right back here and talk with you further. Are your students considering taking the PSAT this fall? Many administrations have been canceled, so don't find yourself out of luck. The October 20th CLT-10 is the only online alternative that can be taken from home and it delivers next day results. Register for the October 20th CLT-10 today at cltexam.com. Registration is free. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Chatting with Jared Squires about this research uh, doctoral dissertation that you have done. Jared, are you gonna? Is this gonna become a book someday? What's What's the path for this great work? I would love for it to come a book if I have the uh, the energy and the motivation to do that. Uh, supposedly, a dissertation should come uh, either a book and some uh, publications as well. So hopefully, this two hundred plus pages will will uh, something positive will come out of this. Actually, I was going to ask you now because I want to, we want to jump into a few more implications of all this. But if folks do want to get a copy of it or, or read more or ask you questions, I, I certainly if you have questions for Jared, you can uh, email directly, as always, info at BasecampLive.com, and I'll forward those on to you, Jared. If people want to get a copy of it, where where can one find your research or your, your dissertation? They could get it through academic databases, which are a little hard to access. So probably the easiest way is I could just email it to you. Uh, my email is jsquires at kingdomprep.org. Okay, jsquires at kingdomprep.org. Or just email me and I'll get it to him. So, Jared, let's jump into this question. Uh, well, one thing before we get to just sort of how can we work alongside our students is this work of the Holy Spirit's taking place. What can we as parents, teachers do to maximize the benefits? But back to your research, just one more question. Again, I think people might be wondering, is this something that... Um, is really the fruit of of godly homes and churches. I mean, is is how much of this paideia formation is truly the school versus these other factors? Could you differentiate those, or how did that how did those complement? Yeah, I think something that uh, classical educators have talked about that you know really prior to the twentieth century we called uh, classical education education, and so it was just uh, the way that it was educated. And so I think when the uh, the Apostle Paul said to raise children up in the padea of the Lord. I think for, for generations uh, that that occurred as, as part of education and as raising you know children. And so I would certainly not want uh, people to think this is the latest fad or this is just you know the, the next thing that has come up, that, that the padea of the Lord is just raising children up in the Lord. And so that, that should involve this partnership between churches, families, uh, and schools. And when we look again at the amount of time that is spent in these various avenues, the uh, the school does play a, a big part, certainly uh, more than the, the than the church. And so we just really want to sing from the same uh, songbook in, in all of these areas and capitalize uh, on our time to, to to break down these walls that have developed in our in our culture. Uh, the sacred secular, as Nancy Piercy and Schaefer and others talk about, to to break those down and just realize that. Uh, uh, that it should all it should be all encompassing in every aspect of our life. When we walk along the road, when we sit, when we stand, when we lie down. Well, and and given the cultural moment we're in, I mean, you know, the proverbial gloves are coming off in 2020. I mean, it is a it is a brutal world. I think we are all seeing that. A lot of fear and anxiety. I keep saying the barbarians are really at our gates. If we've ever needed more than ever an education like this one, uh, this is the time. And, and to just, I want to finish, I, I, I was quoting uh, Bron, Bronfen Brenner out of your dissertation, and I'd done the first part of the quote saying, the future success of our country is based heavily on the cultivation of the minds and character of its children. But he goes on to say, this cultivation of children is heavily influenced today by a vast, complex set of factors, such as their neighborhood or town, school, friends, religious faith types, uh, themes of games, visual and print media entertainment role models, and of course their family. So this is why it's so complicated. And he wrote that, I think the quote was in 1978. So the reality is we're up 
against some stiff competition. And if we don't win the battle for the affections and the cultivations, we're, we're unfortunately going to lose our children. Um, I mean, God is sovereign, but it's not in our favor, given what I call the 301 problem. When our kids get out of school and we control the environment and then Cyclops, the one-eyed monster phones light up and all these other messages come pouring in. So how in the world we want every possible resource to fight for the, the cultivation of paideia. So my question is, what can we do given those pressures to really help accelerate formation of Christian paideia? What did you find? I'll just take just a minute and just give you an example of how to cultivate paideia and how it was done exceptionally well. When we look at the life of John Witherspoon uh, back in the 18th century, his 26 years that he served as president of Princeton and what came out of that, uh, it's an unbelievable list of uh, the, the influence that that cultivation had up to a president, a vice president, an attorney general, and foreign ministers and secretary of states, and, and the list goes on of, of these uh, the young people that were discipled. And when they looked at that, what, what, what was part of that padea? So they talk about worldview, yes. They talk about uh, training intelligence, yes. They talked about cultivating leadership, yes. But Witherspoon talked about something called true religion true religion. And it was defined as the way in which one's faith is communicated from the inside out. And when I hear that inside out, it makes me think of Psalm 39, 3, that my heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. In Proverbs 27, as in the water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. And so inside out, so as parents, as educators, as pastors, as friends, that we will have that, that passion for the next generation to cultivate these affections. This isn't rocket science. This is just following the, the plan that, uh, that God's given us and to stick with it uh, and to be faithful in that uh, and to be focused in that and to spend the time on it. Uh, and so time is, uh, unfortunately, today, we don't spend the time that we need to, uh, to think about these things and to reflect on them. And so we certainly need to do that. Uh, so that we'll have the the energy and the knowledge to spill over to the next generation. So maybe another way to ask it in reverse is just what are what are we maybe doing inadvertently that's actually detracting from the formation of Christian paideia? I mean, as you interviewed these students, were there things that they said, these were the temptations, these are the challenges? Um, you can either answer it positively or negatively, but it does seem like there's, a again, a battle going on. What What can we do to both contribute positively and avoid the negative. I think one thing that comes to my mind immediately is this desire for perfectionism, that we confuse excellence for perfectionism. Uh, and in these high-achieving private schools, I think most of these students you know, really did mention that. That was one of the, the negatives, is they said that you know, we felt this pressure, this anxiety uh, to, be, you know, to be perfect. And so I think as educators and as parents, we have to remember that, that uh, God's not calling us to perfectionism. He's just calling us to, to give our very best uh, and to honor and glorify him in all that we do. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's one, one thing that would stick out immediately. Well, and that's, I just, we just did a podcast um, recently with Keith McCurdy on what lessons have we learned in the midst of a pandemic. And I think because everybody had to hit pause, a lot of the frenetic rushing about to get you know, our kids in every activity and achieve everything academically and make everybody get perfect days. Everything stopped. And we thought, let's recalibrate around what's important. So that this again, complements that idea of this is where 
formation happens. It's, it's in the still quiet moments in your home. Um, it's with conversation. It's with leaning into the work your kids are doing. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that I think we can do to be complementing this formation, if I can say it that way. Yeah. And we think of the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so we're going to glorify him, certainly through giving our best efforts and our excellence. But we want to enjoy this journey, too, as we cultivate these relationships and enjoy the fruit that that comes from it. That's a really good point, uh, Jared. I think about often, again, the perceived um, output of a classical Christian school is a bunch of pensive, Latin quoting, you know, joyless people. And if you not to ding Latin, but I'm just saying just not not kids and folks that are really joyful. Is So did you see that specifically in the research? Did you see students that in, in, you know, in, embedded, in, embodied in a joyful countenance in how they saw the world? I certainly did. And that's what that was heartwarming. Just the, again, going back to that appetite for learning, they actually enjoyed to learn. They weren't just checking boxes. Still in, in college, they were proving it, that they were pursuing things because they enjoyed they enjoyed you know, learning. They enjoyed reading these things and talking about these things. Uh, and so there was certainly a joy that came from that, as well as the community that, that surrounded them during that, uh, that supported them through some difficult times. And they were these schools, they were able to have these hard conversations and talk about these things going on in culture. So they, they weren't just being living in a bubble. They were being prepared uh, the, the term arcs axiom, the you know, fortress of first principles. They were, they were in a training ground ready to be to launched out into the world and they've done very well. So. so just by way of kind of wrapping things up, you mentioned to the question of what can we do to, to kind of come alongside, um, you know, putting aside our, our need for perfectionism and chasing grades and focusing on the joy, anything else, or maybe another way to ask that is just, even as a, uh, almost two decades in this role, um, as a head of school, you've just did this research two years ago. So has it changed you in some ways, things that you emphasize or de-emphasize even as a leader of a, of a classical Christian school? I think really it's, uh, it's been, uh, I've been thankful and it's, it's brought to me kind of clarity of, of what we're doing is important and we need to continue to do these things. We need to continue uh, to be faithful, to not grow weary in, in doing good. I was just reading an excerpt yesterday from a newsletter from the Texas Private School Association saying how administrators are struggling, you know, with with uh, in this time of crisis, uh, you know, with governance issues and financial issues. And I think we can let all these things just cloud uh, the work uh, that, that we're doing. And so we need to stay faithful and not grow weary in doing this good work. Uh, continue to provide guidance to these students, accountability, supporting these students, developing uh this deep-rooted identity uh, within them, uh, you know, ultimately just cultivating human flourishing. Uh, you know, again, these are big words, but we've been called to something big, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Well, and I think that's a great note to end on. It occurs to me that it, it's not by accident that the word that we're trying to use to describe what God's asked us to 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 pour out in the lives of these students is something so big that doesn't translate to English. It's paideia. I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's like in scripture, we're told that there's a point where just the spirit groans on our behalf because we don't have words anymore. Like this work is so significant. We can't come up with a, a simple English word to describe it because it is of the Lord and it should be an encouraging uh, task that we've been called to because a lot of this is outside of our hands. We can be faithful and 
then God will show up. So I'm so excited that you have uh, done this work, Jared. Thank you for your contribution to our movement. I think it's something that we all want to know more of. How does this, uh, how does this, uh, hard work, does it bear fruit? And most certainly it does. So hopefully folks will get a copy of your, of your, of your research. Again, if somebody wants to see more, just info at basecamplive.com and I'll make sure you get in touch with Jared, but thanks so much for your time today. We'll definitely have to have you back on and talk about the university model. Cause that's another whole wonderful thing that you're contributing. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you. I respect you guys and really I'm thankful for this opportunity. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. That's a wrap on another episode of Basecamp Live. Guys, we know it's not easy raising the next generation. This idea of ancient future education is valuable and important. We are so excited about it, and we would love to hear from you and support you in what you are doing. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Basecamp Live. Also, send us an email at info at basecamplive.com. So until next time, let's keep climbing the mountain before us together.